We are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans in the South. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're only seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. The dignity of man, Lyndon Johnson said. What about the dignity of humanity, all humanity? One of the ugliest things that ever happens in politics is when we have, uh, well, in Spanish, they call them caudillos. Sometimes they call them dictators. We call them people who are serving themselves, making themselves out to be the all-powerful ones, and everybody else is wrong. And they oftentimes rely on fear and hate, and it gets really ugly. This is America. Normally, we don't have that kind of thing. We just don't have that kind of thing. We have Republicans and Democrats, liberals, conservative, right-wingers, left-wingers, but we don't generally have fascists. I mean, that's a term, that's a very, very strong term that uh, should not be used uh, too recklessly. But people, newspapers throughout America and the world have been referring to the leading candidate for the Republican nomination as a fascist. What does this mean for the Republican Party, for the, uh, for the nation, and for the world, and for the fight against terrorism? How does this affect us? How does it reflect on America? What does it mean for our future? Well, there's a lot of concerns there, and we're going to be talking to a couple of people with a lot to say about, uh, shall we say, Trumpism, because uh, it's not just this one person. Donald Trump. No, it's not. It's about more than that. Our first guest in studio is Arnie Alpert of the American Friends Service Committee, an old friend who's been active for oh, quite a long time. How long? Back in the 20th century. Yeah. Oh, back in the 20th century? Back cent- in the 20th century, Bert. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, me too. And, yeah. and a little later on, partway yeah. through the show, I'm going to be speaking to, uh, I think, a mutual friend of ours, Alicia Preston, who is Definitely a conservative Republican. No one can possibly doubt her conservative Republican credentials. And she also is extremely upset, perhaps more than many Democrats, uh, about uh, the effects of, of Donald Trump. And there was a cartoon. Maybe we can start off in uh, the December. Cartoons are always great on radio, Bert, so go for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll try to All describe right, it. The, cover, the front page of the New York Daily News on December 9th had a cartoon of uh, Mr. Trump holding a saber. Uh, and the quote is, first they came for the Mexicans, and I didn't care because, because I wasn't a Mexican. Then they came uh, for the uh, Muslims, and I didn't care because I wasn't a Muslim. And then it goes dot, dot, dot. 
and the picture is Trump holding the uh, the saber, having cut off the head of Lady Liberty. The Statue of Liberty is lying there. He cut off her head. And, of course, the rest of that, Bert, as you know, is a allusion to Pastor Martin Niemöller, yes. who was a Protestant leader in Germany, um, who did not speak up against the Nazis when other people, such as Dietrich Bonhoeffer, were. Uh, but Martin Niemöller was, was slow in getting to understand what was the situation there, and it's really only later on that he became a uh, somebody who was articulating the importance of, of denouncing fascism and Nazism in Germany. And so I think that, that we are, uh, we're seeing that allusion to Martin Niemöller coming up pretty often uh, uh, in recent days. It's, it's really amazing. I mean, who would have thunk it? I know growing up in the 1950s, I was born in 1950, just five years after the defeat of Nazism, and back in elementary school, there was a lot of concern. Could it ever happen here? Yeah. Could it ever happen here? And people back then predicted, oh, it'll come wrapped in the flag. Fascism will come wrapped in the flag. And uh, I don't know if he's really doing that, but it it's, seems to be wrapped all in himself and his uh, gravity-defying haircut, as it's been called. What what Arnie? What what do you think? What, what? Let me let me let me let me just first say that um, the American Friends Service Committee in New Hampshire is following the presidential race very closely and following the rhetoric very closely. We are not uh, taking a position on who people should vote for, who people not. should vote against. Right. Uh, but we're very concerned about a lot of the issues that are playing out in the campaign, uh, including uh, how the issue of immigration. Uh, and now how that's been extended to the issue of of refugees and religion and a lot of other things. And now, and obviously, actually, now also related to issues of war and peace in the Middle East, all kind of glommed up together uh, in, a, in a pretty toxic stew right now. So we're, we're very concerned about that. Well, just for those who may not be familiar with the AFSC, American Friends Service Committee, what is your mission? Well, we got, we got started 98 years ago as a Quaker expression of concern for people who were suffering because of the war that was going on in Europe. And uh, young men who were Quaker volunteers went to provide humanitarian assistance to civilians who were losing, you know, being driven from their homes or people who needed health care, people who needed nutritional assistance. And since then, the organization has continued uh, to work in situations of armed conflict and post-conflict situations to promote peacemaking uh, and to try to help communities recover, to provide uh, economic and social assistance to people, as well as looking in this country and around the world at the root causes of violence and injustice, which include racism, Islamophobia, xenophobia, nativism, a bunch of connected words here that we're seeing uh, popping up uh, all around us right now. And that, so. uh, you know, there have been these strains throughout, well, throughout the 20th century, at the very least, nativism, racism. We've had people like uh, Father Coughlin in the early 30s who uh, trumped up fear, shall we say. We had a very active Ku Klux Klan presence in the seacoast in the 1920s. That's right. Uh, Rochester, Portsmouth, Concord. Hampton. Hampton. Uh, there were active KKK activities going on. One of the most chilling photos I've ever seen was actually in the, the Hampton Town history, and it was a fold-out photograph, a uh, black-and-white photograph of a KKK march down... Uh, you know, on you know, along the beach or something or other, with hundreds of people in hoods. Um, so again, it has happened here. Uh, we haven't yes. seen obviously the extent of of violence and extremism that we did see in 
Nazi Germany. Uh, Although, of course, we also understand that our own country really does get its birth in genocidal wars against the native people who were here before the Europeans arrive. And, you know, so it's it's never been, in a sense, that far from the surface here. And I, again, to say also, Bert, at the same time, we've always had these strains of, of nativism and racism yes. uh, to the extreme. We've also had strains of, of genuine democracy, of tolerance, of respect, of inclusion, of love, uh, and of an understanding that um, that we want to treat our neighbors well, regardless of their their race, their religion, their culture, uh, where they were born, what they look like, and all these other all these other things. And that that strain is also very strong, and I think it's very strong here in New Hampshire. I think it's strong, really. Well, with an awful lot of people. I mean, the whole the Statue of Liberty. You know, it's. I think that was a brilliant cartoon. Whoever made it at the Daily News, because that's that's what we are to the world. The world has always looked to America as a place of respect and understanding. You don't have to pass any uh, religious test or anything like that. And it's not like Donald Trump is the only one calling for religious tests, uh, which some of the Republican candidates, and I know you're not getting involved directly in in, in political aspects, but uh, some of the other leading candidates have have suggested that only Christians— That's right. Yeah, no, so that's right. So that's disturbing. And it's, you know, many people have pointed out it's also, I mean, I mean, Trump has wanted to build a physical wall. He also wants <laughs> to put up perhaps larger walls by saying that Muslims cannot enter the country at all as, as tourists, as refugees, as, tourists, as immigrants, right. as anything else, as business people. Um, so that's that's patently uh, horrible and, for that matter, illegal. But um, these other statements that would bar refugees who are not Christians is also extremely troublesome and uh, needs to be denounced from from my perspective. No, I think so. If you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Live, Bert Cohen here, along with uh, Arnie Alpert, an old friend, talking about uh, a dangerous strain that that seems to be happening, uh, uh, concern, I mean, labeling other people. And as you mentioned, there hasn't been, well, in a way there hasn't been violence against American Muslims. And American Muslims, I mean, how many thousands of American Muslims have died fighting for America, lots of them. I mean, th- these are no different from anybody else. And yet, as you mentioned before, uh, there are reports, unconfirmed reports, coming out of UNH that perhaps something right. happened there. And and we've read reports. I've read reports online about uh, store owners, good citizens, being beaten up. Right. I mean, we're seeing right as this uh, again the rhetoric. You know, we say words are just words. Um, but we're seeing that in this climate of toxic rhetoric from the political level, we're also seeing manifestations of actual physical violence taking place across the country. Different incidents are starting to get documented. And uh, yes, Bert, as you mentioned, I just did hear a report about a Muslim student at UNH who was assaulted uh, recently. I don't want to say more about that right now until I, I find out more details. Um, but uh this is not just things that are happening in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. These are things that, that are happening and will happen here in New Hampshire if we don't uh, do something about it. Yes, we have to do something about it. And I'm pretty sure online with us we have Alicia Preston. Are you there? I am here. Hello. Hey, thanks so much for being with us. Bert Cohen here along with uh, Arnie Alpert. And uh, as I was saying before, no one can possibly doubt <laughs> the conservative Republican credentials of our friend Alicia Preston. <laughs> I mean, 
you have worked on campaigns and been a, an active, genuine conservative Republican for, for many, many years. You and I, I suppose, might accidentally agree on something, but uh, generally... Only when the moon is in lunar eclipse. <laughs> on this one, I suspect we agree. You, as, as a Republican who wants Republicans to win... And, you know, the, the, the values that you have and, and you sincerely feel these values and, and traditions and principles of the Republican Party. How do you feel the candidacy of Donald Trump is affecting those principles that, that you have and that you've worked for? Well, let me first say the reason I want Republicans to win is not the reason Donald Trump wants to win. To me, it's not about winning and losing. It's about what's right for the country. And I do believe the Republican ideals traditionally are what's best for the country. Um, Donald Trump and I do not share those ideals. Number one, oh, none of us have any idea where Donald Trump stands because, again, he's in it to win it um, without a moral compass to decide what he's going to do when he gets there. Uh, and, and I think we have seen repeatedly over his candidacy uh, statements, positions, policy proposals, ideas that go against the very fabric of this nation and thereby the fabric and the foundation of the Republican Party. Um, I don't think it helps us to win and thereby advance what we think is proper agenda economically, nationally, and in national security for this nation. Um, I, I do think it hurts our brand. Uh, yes. and, but most importantly, from a moral standpoint, it's not who we as a nation are. And, and I find that offensive. And why do you think, I mean, you, you have an understanding of, of people who vote Republican probably more than I do. Why? What's your sense of why Trump seems to have such strong support? Why is he doing so well in the polls? Is it merely the entertainment? He's a lot more entertaining than, say, uh, Jeb Bush or anybody else, really. What, what, what do you see? Why is he getting such uh, big support? Why are his numbers so high? Oh, I think it's multifold. Um, and look, I have a lot of dear friends, very intelligent people, um, with strong convictions and love of America that are supporting him. And I go round and round with him trying to get a why, and I can't get one beyond he says it like it is. Look, I think part of it is is the process. You know, I'm watching uh, a national network news program this morning, and, and they say, we're outside with four people to react to um, Trump's Muslim plan, uh, you know, to, ban, to potentially ban Muslims, and we're in the street with four Trump supporters to find out why. Nah. Not in the street with people to find out what they think of it. We're going to be in the street with four Trump supporters to find out why. That's naturally going to promote it. He is a reality star. Yes. The national media has perpetuated that. And, and look, name ID is, is part of it. But I think yeah. the reason that people are forgiving of things that are so holistically un-American as banning people based on religion, uh, because they're scared. And, and yes. I don't criticize people's fear. I'm scared, too. Yeah. But I, I don't think we're being rational in how we want to uh, um, cure the ill that we have, which is our fear, and legitimately so. I just, they, you know, as I said to someone yesterday, what is the point of saving America if she's not what we want to save? Mm. And I think that's what we have to step back and look. But I think fear is one of the most powerful oh, emotions absolutely. a human can have, yeah. any being can have, from an ant to a lion to a human. Um, I just think sometimes the overreaction can get the better of us. Yeah, the manipulation of fear. I think that's one of the things that FDR was talking about. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And, you know, we've seen historically manipulating fear. Well, and we can see FDR himself out of fear ended up interning Japanese Americans, something which we now understand was a terrible 
thing to have done and which uh, Mr. Trump and his supporters are now using as an example of the tradition that they want to follow in. So this is pretty disturbing. a black spot on American history. And now we're saying, well, it's been done before. Well, you know what? Slavery was done before. I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure that means it's something we should institute again. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Part of this is also about spectacle, I think. And uh, Alicia, you and Bert have both been inside the world of the media. So I think that you also both, in addition, you've both been inside politics. You have an understanding of the dynamics of campaigns, but also the dynamics of the way the mainstream media uh, operates and can is something like this magnify something that's very ugly instead of finding a way to, to tamp it down and, and lift up alternatives. I think that's part of what we're seeing right I now. I think that's part of it. And I also think, um, you know, part of it, it what feeds um, this false reaction of fear and this support of things as atrocious as a registry or a ban on Muslims is, is this administration's behavior after situations like happened in San Bernardino. It doesn't help when they get up and they say, well, it might be a workplace shooting. Everyone knew within five minutes it wasn't a workplace shooting. What are you holding on to? When Loretta Lynch gets up and in three days after, instead of coming out and saying, I'm here for you, we're going to find the bad guys, whatever nook and cranny they hide in, she says, hey, Muslims, I'm not going to let anyone speak out against you. That is the wrong approach, and that will feed the support for the craziness like bans on Muslims. When we look and say our own government isn't even trying to support us, isn't recognizing our fear, look, I'll tell you something I did, and I'd like to say I'm not proud of it, but I believe survival and fear are the, you know, the greatest emotions a being can have. I was at the Boston Aquarium the day after Thanksgiving on Black Friday, and I was with two little girls and three other adults. Mm. There was this large Muslim family there. We were there for about two hours, and this one woman in full garb kept bumping into me. And then I see her husband, after about two hours, reach under the bottom of her skirt, and I say something to one of the adults I'm with, and he says, could he have just been straightening it out? I said, he absolutely could have just been straightening it out. I said, or it could be something else, and I'm not comfortable. And we left. But do you know what? I did that as a citizen, not as a government imposing rules on Muslims. I allowed myself to protect myself and my fear. That's a big difference in saying a government should somehow intervene in that personal decision-making. That's a very interesting point. And, and using that emotion... Uh, it sounds like you did a, a wise thing there. And fear is, I mean, it's an emotion. But there's emotion and there's reason. And Donald Trump and some of the others are, you know, obviously running for president, which is both head of state and head of government. And, uh, you know, to, to base it on emotion and fear, it just seems so... I don't know, out of, of tradition. I mean, Alicia, you work for candidates because you believe they have the best chance of being elected and because you believe in what he or she has to say. Well, if you look at my track record, I don't always work for the ones with the best chance of being elected. <laughs> <laughs> work for the ones I think should be. <laughs> That's a good point. You know, I, I, I can't help but respect that tremendously. I mean, same here, Lord knows. <laughs> Alicia, but say a little bit about what's going on within the Republican Party yes. in terms of denouncing this type of bigotry and demagoguery. I think the Republican candidates, and almost all of them, have, have been very vocal in denouncing this. I think it is not oft repeated by the media and by others. Um, and, but I have to give credit. I mean, Jeb Bush and others came out very quickly, um, as well as the person I work for is George Pataki, um, and, and immediately denounced um, not only this, but some of the other outrageous potential proposals that Donald Trump's come out with. I think it's not being reported enough, and I think people aren't seeing it. And Donald Trump's voice is louder and it's just that simple. He's got a louder voice and a bigger platform. Um, and so discussions aren't being allowed to ha happen beyond headlines that say, let me explain why I think this isn't the right thing. Let me explain why this shouldn't be what we do. 
Instead, it's strictly emotional reactions, as you point out, and strictly headlines and bombastic yeah. language. And, and people hear that. They hear it and they say, he gets it, I'm afraid too, and he gets it, I'm afraid, I'm going to be with him. Yeah. But you have to step back and say, this is America. We don't make decisions based on people's religion. Short of a brand new religion being created no. called Kill Americans, you can't stop people coming into this country. And, and again, this is not, people are confused. They think he's referring to an immigration program or a refugee program. He is not. He's referring to the Muslim Canadian family visiting their family in New York for the weekend. He's saying no travel from outside America by Muslims into this country unless they are citizens. That is an outrage, and that's not who we are, and we need to step back. And like I said, if we're trying to save America and her people, let's make sure we're something worth saving. Now, my, my sense is, from what I've read so far, I mean, maybe it's changing, but the Republican candidates, there used to be 16, a few, slightly fewer than that now, they've all pledged to support the nominee of the party. Um, what happens to the Republican Party if he is the candidate? And I, I haven't seen them. I mean, Ted Cruz doesn't seem to be moving away from him in particular. Uh, they, they've been, I think, reluctant to criticize because he is so popular. What, do you sense a change there, Alicia? Oh, I think a change is coming. <laughs> I think we're going to see a lot of people uh, disavow the pledge. Um, I know a lot of Republicans, I can't speak on behalf of any candidates, but I certainly know a lot of Republicans, myself included, that say my vote will never be cast for a bigot. It just won't. Yeah. Um, and and that's not to say I'm going to vote for Hillary or Bernie. Sorry, Bert. But <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> um, and I, and, but I do, like I said, I do think these candidates, other than Ted Cruz, and, and I guess there are a couple others who, who have continued their support or silence on Donald Trump, the other candidates, most all of them, have spoken out at least in the latest comments to denounce them. Again, they're just not as oft-reported as Donald Trump himself. And I think we will start seeing, potentially during or after the next debate next week, um, a change in attitude that this is not someone we can get behind. Uh, let's hope not. And both, uh, both Bush and Cruz have, have said... Uh, and I know neither one is your particular candidate and, uh, uh, you know, need, well, Bush is pff, nowhere in the polls. But Cruz, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit concerned about him. He could be the nominee. Uh, he recently said, and Bush did too, that only Christian Syrians should be let into America. And I'm wondering if this xenophobia, this, you know, uh, fear of, of the other uh, may become part of the Republican identity. You must be concerned about that, Alicia. Well, I mean, I think it's, we have to separate two issues here. I'm afraid when I see Muslims, too, not because they're all bad people. It's like 0.05 or some percent that's a part of the ISIS and want to do things. Uh, but let's not forget that it is radical Islamists yes. that are, the ones, that are yes. the ones trying to kill us. They're the ones at war with us. Alicia, should I be afraid of Christians? Are, are, are Christians uniting and going on TV beheading people? Well, I mean, there are Christ Christians no, have not. committed plenty of uh, of atrocities over time. It was it was Christians who drove my ancestors uh, out of out of Europe a few couple generations we're not back. About your so I'm just sort of curious we're about, about today. that. We're talking about who is our enemy today. Well, there are, again, there are there are certainly um, acts of mass violence that are taking place that are being committed by people who profess to be. Uh, members of religions other than Islam. And so, I, I mean, I do think that we need to be very careful. Not in a worldwide movement. Look, the guy that shot up the Planned Parenthood place? Yeah, he's Christian. I'm pro-life. Let me tell you something. Pro-life people don't think you should kill people. That's like against what we believe in. That's a crazy man but who that's did what, something in the wrong way, and he's a lone ranger, and he's a bad that's what, dude. That's what many Muslims say also. They say uh, Islam no. is not about killing people. So right, it's. I, I'm just saying that I think that we need to be... It's not, uh, Arnie, it's not organized. 
ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Taliban, they organize through the use of social media, unlike we've ever seen before. They mm-hmm. organize, mm-hmm. they fund, they manipulate, they recruit as a unit, as a movement to kill Westerners. That, that is what they do. It's not a lone nutbag. But that's a political movement. That's not a religious movement. It is a political movement yes. under the name of Islam. And the ones doing it are Muslims. And I would like to see, and I've seen some of it, but not enough. I would like to see Islamic leaders in this country stand up more vocally and more regularly and say, this is not what we stand for. What happened in San Bernardino is wrong. What happened in Paris is wrong. And they need to come out within their own and community. they have. They have, and the media is frankly not covering right, So them. I think maybe perhaps, Alicia, the same way you've said the media is not covering what the Republicans are saying, I think it's also fair to say the media is not giving sufficient attention to what uh, the type of voices coming out of groups I'm like not, the Council of American Islamic Relations talking about The reason about I know what the presidential candidate said is because I'm not your normal person. I get paid to read and scour media all day and every day. Right. I've seen what has been said and what hasn't. I also saw mosques in Pennsylvania last week come out and instead of criticizing San Bernardino, hold something that says, you know, we've got to worry about ourselves. We'll do both because I don't want discrimination against good people regardless of the religion. But you've got to come out and recognize it is Islamic extremism under the name of Islam, falsely, but under the name of Islam, millions of people who are working around this world to kill us. So it goes back to the point I was making. So one, we have to recognize that that is the face of our enemy. I don't think it's I don't think it's millions. I don't think it's millions. And let's let's face it, there was no ISIS before the U.S. invaded Iraq. But going back a little bit, the Ku there was Al Qaeda. There Last was I checked, very eleventh was before the invasion of Iraq. Absolutely, there was Al Qaeda. A very small group before we invaded Afghanistan. I don't want to get too far off on that, but the the KKK has claimed to be Christian. They are a terrorist group. The attack in 1995, uh, you know, that was terrorist as well. The Westboro Baptist Church. Westboro Baptist Church are a bunch of scumbags, but they don't kill people. You can't equate Westboro Baptist Church with ISIS. They're a bunch of scumbags who don't understand who Jesus is. And I'm a Christian. But they don't kill people. And that's a big kind of glaring difference. They don't cut people's heads off on television, and so I don't think we can equate ISIS with the Westboro Baptist Church. I don't think we can equate the KKK of today, now KKK of yesteryear, where they were lynching people and murdering people and burning churches. Yeah, that's a terrorist organization. I don't know where the KKK is today. I hope they, like, disappear and sit in a basement somewhere doing God knows what and not (laughs) encountering human beings. But... You know, and the, what, the same what, cons- what we are facing today. What, one of the things that concerns me is that, you know, there has been terror from the air. I mean, Kissinger in the early 1970s did a, a massive, incredibly terrorizing carpet bombing of, of Cambodia. The people of Cambodia had no idea what was going on, but they were absolutely terrified. And then they got Pol Pot to come in after that. There is terror from the skies. A lot of, I mean, these drone attacks are killing people, killing families, wiping out wedding parties. Uh, you know, the, the people in the Middle East see this, they feel this, and they don't know what to do about it. And what concerns me, perhaps more than anything, is that Trump, as Thomas Friedman said, Trump is doing ISIS recruiters a favor. He's, I mean, yeah, he, he absolutely is, because and that's where I was going on point. I'm all set with us, you know, recognizing and profiling who our potential enemy is. There's a difference between that and just saying, therefore, we're going to ban all Muslims. Therefore, we're going to have a national registry of who Muslims are. And that's the, and it's not a fine line. It's a very distinct, yes. bold one. And that's where we can't cross into. And we can't allow our fear 
and the appropriate level of profiling to change the foundation of who we are as a nation. And that's my big concern. And, and one concern I have is the fact that, and the media says they can't figure out why his numbers keep going up, that he's just Teflon, that he keeps going up and up and up. Do you, can you explain this? And what do you see next, you know, as a Republican, as somebody who wants, you know, the Republican Party to, to win the White House, what do you see is happening next? Can Will this be stopped, do you think? Has Trump just gone too far? Or will he continue to uh, to build it up? And I'm not even sure what his demographics really are who support him. I, I don't know either. I don't think he has a solid demographic because I think it spreads over many of them. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. If you asked me six months ago, I would have said his candidacy would have tanked by now. This is nothing I or any, and anyone who says that they predicted this, they <laughs> lying. <laughs> no one predicted this. Six months ago. Um, I don't know. I mean, as for your first question about the media keep saying, why his numbers rise up? Well, just for what I said. How do you feel about Trump's reaction to the Muslim situation? Let's ask four Trump supporters what they think. Okay. It is, it is comp- look, the national media has made the race for the highest office in our land a ratings game. Yeah. And that's outrageous. New Hampshire, Iowa, South Carolina, other early states should uh, take it back and should say, okay, we're going to have our own debates for New Hampshire people, Iowa people, South Carolina people. You guys want to air it, fine. We're using New Hampshire criteria, not national polling. Yeah. A little late for that now. If we have the pr- opportunity to have the first in the nation primary again, that's what we've got to do. We've got to say as citizens, a 4,000-person room at an auditorium at a high school isn't all we need here in New Hampshire. I want to sit down and talk to you face-to-face. That is how we vet presidents, yes. is we get the chance to see who they really are beyond the headlines. We haven't done that this year. And you know what? A yeah. lot of the fault is on the electorate for allowing it to occur. No, that's a very good point. We've always, you know, New Hampshire, one of the things I've always really loved and, and respected greatly about New Hampshire citizens is that we can tell if somebody's for real or not, if they have a brain in their head or not, because they come into our houses, they come into our kitchen. We meet them one-on-one, and we can tell if somebody's authentic and, and get a sense of whether we can trust him or her. And it's, it's really changed this time. It's uh, just entertainment value. Yeah, and, and, you know, we lack the vetting process. I mean, I've looked, you know, because like I said, I scour news and I've seen it. And, you know, uh, Politico, I believe it was, did this top 115 best things Trump ever said. Best not as in actually good, but like Trumpest things he ever said. And any woman should not support this man. There is no excuse for any female to support this man. He says things like, oh, women, you got to treat them like the SH word. Oh, the, he goes on and on and on. He talks about what was one, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like, I hate that blacks count my money. It shouldn't be blacks. It should be little men in yarmulkes. These are his actual quotes. Have you heard that anywhere oh, in regular media? No, Canadian? I haven't. I've seen... I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to send you the, the list because you would be amazed. And no one's reporting this. No one else could ever get away with being the misogynist, you know, anti-Semitic jerk that he is. And yet he very well is on a path to lead this nation. <laughs> Great. So, Alicia, you were saying that um, you think we'll be hearing more from other leading Republicans uh, with more solid denunciations and distancing of Trump and trying to distance Trump from the Republican Party? I do, and I don't say that with any inside information. I just say that seeing how things are turning. And there is a big CNN debate in Las Vegas. Um, I think we're going to see harder um, criticism of him and potentially even movement away from support for him just because he's got an R next to his name. And I think we should. I I think the whole idea of you have to support him because he's got an R next to his name, I genuinely agree with. if you are a registered Republican, actively work as a Republican, I think Trump breaks the rules, and therefore so can we. 
Yeah, very interesting stuff. I'm just looking at one quote from him. I mean, you talk about any women voting for him. Here's a direct quote. You could see, and this is against the reporter Megan Kelly, I think it was, on Fox. You could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, blood coming out of her wherever. Right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And Megan Kelly had to issue a pseudo-apology. <laughs> Come on, I would have yeah. punched the guy in the face. Well, let's get him on your show anyway. So, <laughs> Yes, well, great to talk to you, Alicia. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll be bumping into you as uh, we head toward the New Hampshire primary coming up in, uh, what, 60 days or so, something like that. It's getting close. Well, um, to your audience, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and have a wonderful holiday season. Bert, we will catch lunch soon. Yes, we will. Thank you so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. We share that goal, Keeping Democracy Alive. Thank you. Well... Uh, do you, I wonder if the, the Republicans are going to distance themselves. I mean, they, the, the candidates, Arnie, it seems that, you know, they're reluctant to because the guy's doing well. I mean, Cruz isn't going to distance himself. No. Well, Cruz has made it very clear that he's not going to distance himself and that he's said, oh, I want his voters, you know. Cruz, Cruz, anyway, so that's, uh, yeah. And Do you think, people have wondered about it. I mean, they, they like, I find that, that each election is always either we want more of the same or we want change. I sense this is a year people are feeling we want uh, change, that he's, he's talking straight and people like that. I, I wonder, I've heard it said that maybe Trump connects with a lot of what Americans really think behind closed doors but aren't comfortable saying in public, and he's bringing it out. I think I don't know about that, Bird. I think that sometimes during a political season, things do come out in public that otherwise people just don't talk about that much. But again, as we've discussed before, we've had strains of nativism and xenophobia and bigotry kind of rising and falling throughout American history. And it just looks like right now we're in one of those times when it, it appears to be rising, and we've got to see what we can do to turn that around as quickly as possible. I mean, I thought he would start to fade right after that incredible thing against Megyn Kelly. What, Arnie, what do you, why hasn't he faded? Is it because so many people feel like he does, that they're kind of xenophobic and, and racist and are okay I, with fascism? There is a lot of um, feeling that somehow people are being failed by the establishment. People feel like the, the political and economic system is not working for most people. I mean, you've certainly talked about that right. on plenty of shows here. We look at the rising inequality. We look at stagnant wages. We look at the a uh, way that billionaires uh, get their way in our political system. And and Trump has even said that. He's even talked about that himself. It's kind of interesting. So that it's not, in some ways, I think that the fact that the candidates who s appear to be less figures of the establishment are uh, getting a little bit more support right now. And even again, if you go and listen to Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz says, I'm not part of the establishment. They all, you know, they, everybody wants to be outside the Beltway, part of the establishment. You could, you could be running, president running for re-election, I guess, and say you're not part of the establishment <laughs> these days because you think that that might get you some votes. But I, I do think that that's part of what's going on. The political system, the economic system really have not been working for some time for most people. People are looking for alternatives. Yes. Uh, and when you combine that with what is still a, um, a degree of belief in white supremacy, a belief in nativism, yeah. um, that, again, those are currents that are deep in American, uh, the American psyche. Yes. And uh, we're, we're, you know, we're not rooting them out through this type of process right now. Obviously, they they're seem to be given room to grow and flourish. 
So again, we've got to find some ways to be more clear in, in denouncing that. I also think, Bert, as you were starting to get at before, we also do have to look at this as part of a global phenomenon. And that um, if we can't kind of de-link this issue of xenophobia from questions about what is happening in Iraq and Syria, we need to also look at a connection between the flight of refugees, uh, the rise of Islamophobia in this country, and the fact that the United States has now been at war in that part of the world um, pretty consistently for the last several decades. It seems like really going back to the first Bush presidency and the first war with Iraq, uh, how many millions of people have been killed, how many people have been driven from their homes, um, and what happens when that goes on. And it's true, you know, I, I forget which uh, theorist said to every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. That was Isaac Newton. I knew that. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> of course. All right. But, you know, I hope it's not equal reaction yeah. because, as you said, no exaggeration. Millions, millions of people have right. lost their lives. Right. We don't see it here. Right. It's not in, you know, right here on, on these well, shores. But, but we, we do see it because we have, uh, again, it's fabulous. We've been able to welcome people who are coming out of the Democratic Republic of Congo, where millions of people have lost their lives in recent years and been displaced from their homes. We do have refugees coming from Iraq and Afghanistan. We have refugees who were driven out of their homes in Bhutan uh, by, you know, what, uh, our our ancestors would have called pogroms, you know, 20 years ago. Mm. So, um, and these people are here and they can also teach us uh, some things. We can listen to their voices about the importance of welcoming refugees and about the importance of peacemaking in the world. If you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Alive, Bert Cohen here, along with uh, Arnie Alpert of the American Friends Service Committee, we're talking about Trumpism. E even, if, even if Trump does fade, I wonder how much he has affected our political future. What well, are your thoughts? I, I don't, you know, we'll have to look back in a little while. Let's, uh, <laughs> right now, the future that I'm looking at is taking place a couple hours from now when Mr. Trump is going to be right here in Portsmouth, where he's been invited by the New England Police Benevolent Association to address their meeting this evening. So we will be uh, outside of that event with some signs that bear slogans such as love is stronger than hate that we welcome refugees, yes. that Black Lives Matter, yes. that we want to build bridges, not walls. We want to try to get that message out as strongly as we can, and we've encouraged people to join us uh, and, and, and be out there today. And that is at 4.30, I believe it starts? 4.30 p.m. we'll be uh, encouraging people to gather. Now, of course, because it's going to be starting to get dark at that hour, this is uh, the middle of December after all, It um, you know we, we think it's very important for people to be uh, prepared to be outside, to be prepared in the cold, to yeah. be prepared to be in a situation where it might be a little bit confusing to know what's going on because of the darkness. So we think it's very important for everybody to be there on their kind of nonviolent behavior yes. standards, yes. Uh, really be prepared to treat everybody they see with respect, people that they know, people that they don't know, people who with whom we may have profound uh, political disagreements. Uh, but to really try to be there and model, if we're saying that love can be stronger than hate, we want to be models of that ourselves as much as we possibly can. Absolutely. And that's, of course, open to the public, 430 at the uh, Sheraton. And Trump won't be there until later. So I think the chances for, you know, any kind of confrontation, hopefully, is minimized. Yeah. And we've, we've been in touch with the Portsmouth police about our plans. And uh, so they, they know they know about that. 
I wonder, you know, getting back to the idea of uh, people want something different. They want a straight talker that even even Trump is is talking about uh, issues that he's one of the I mean, populism, meaning, you know, the strength and, and popularity of a candidate. There have been populists on the left and right throughout not only American history, but but a lot of Western history. Again, sometimes it comes from the left, sometimes it comes from the right. We had uh, Huey Long, who was kind of a mix of both left and right. And, uh, you know, let, let's look at Bernie Sanders here. And people have thought that, well, maybe Trump is the right version of Bernie Sanders, except that <laughs> Bernie Sanders is certainly no racist. He is no hater. And, uh, you know, the Southern Party... Bernie, Bernie also comes out of a profound democratic tradition. I mean, a small D democratic right. that has to do with, with dialogue, that has to do with paying attention to people. Uh, and and uh, Mr. Trump comes out of a tradition, I guess you could say, a plutocracy. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is a little different. <laughs> a little different. Plutocracy, government of, by, and for the super rich, which is what it seems to me in 1776, we had a war of independence away from. And if, you know, if people want... You know, that's exactly what our founders fought against, to have concentration of wealth and power in very, very few hands. And and speaking of Bernie Sanders, he said, throughout history, you've had demagogues trying to divert attention away from the real issues. And what someone like Trump is trying to do, Sanders says, is to divide us up. A few months ago, we were supposed to hate Mexicans, and that he thinks all they're all criminals and rapists. Now we are supposed to hate Muslims. And what kind of crap is not that kind of crap is not going to work in the United States of America? Now, people, this end of uh, Bernie Sanders' quote. I think people are concerned. The Tea Party came out, in my opinion, of the sense that people have: this is not our government; that our government is owned and controlled by people other than you and me. And that's, I think, one thing that Bernie Sanders is, is talking about on a rational level. He's talking about specifics on that. Uh, I think, you know, the Tea Party appealed to people on an emotional level. But I wonder, I wonder if some of the people who may have been attracted to Trump, not because they're racist or nativist, they just, they like that he tells the truth, that he shake thing, shakes things up, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, if he uh, uh, does fade or pull out of the race, because, you know, maybe he's uh, uh, made his numbers go up that much more. I mean, he cares about ratings. I wonder what will happen with those people. I suppose if they are indeed racist and xenophobic, uh, they have their candidate in uh, Ted Cruz. But uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of... uh, of that populist stuff that really is legitimate because this government has become much more of a plutocracy uh, than it ever had before. What do you think of that that populist energy? It's it's there. Oh, it's there. And it's again, it's always been a strain. I think that it's it's rising right now in a way. And again, if we look at something like the 2010 Supreme Court decision in Citizens United, which affirmed the concept that corporations are people. Uh, that they have inalienable rights, including the right to contribute money to affect political campaigns, um, that money is a form of speech, which confers more political power to people who have more money. Um, I think we've seen people reacting against that type of notion, and that's a good thing. Um, So that's, you know, I think that's also part of what is at large in the land at the same time of this unleashing of, of racism and bigotry that's going on. Yeah, there's kind of a a disconnect, a uh, concern, a sense that 
you know, not everything is okay. That that it's a it's a shaky world out there. There is the fear of ISIS clearly, and you know, people I think want to oftentimes go back to the way it was when the U.S. was the unquestioned superpower of the world, and that we can kick anybody around that we want to do. And it, you know, there's an emotional draw to that, I suppose, not to me or you, but to an awful lot of people. And uh, I, I, that's if, if that time ever existed, Bert, it didn't last very long. So, <laughs> well, it was from, <laughs> I think 1945 till about. Well, uh, we there, there was this thing of the Cold War during that period of time, so it wasn't yeah. exactly like the United States was was on top of the world at that time. There was a global rivalry and uh, armed with nuclear weapons and the danger of confrontation at the nuclear level at any moment, which I have to say also has not gone away and is something that we are trying to give attention to at the American Friends Service Committee is a new uh, push to create more nuclear weapons, uh, which will not keep us safer, but no. will actually make us less, and less there's, safe. There's that whole sense of, I mean, after uh, Osama bin Laden was killed, there was that, we're number one, we're number yeah. one, and that uh, nativism that we want to, you know, that they... Everybody else, it's out, it's them out there that are the bad guys, and that's what really concerns me. Is is that you know belief by a lot of people that uh, we have to have uh, hegemony over the world, and that, that we have to uh, you know white supremacists basically. That it's those out there, and the fear of that. That's what I think since December seventh, nineteen forty one. The fear of them out there, the anger at those other people. Has, as Sanders said, diverted our attention. Now, there's a lot of demagoguery and diverted our attention from real issues. My sense is it's, it's. I mean, as, and Trump has played on that very, very clearly. In fact, the Southern Poverty Law Center has designated Donald Trump and his campaign as a hate group. And they define hate groups as those that, quote, have beliefs or practices that attack or malign an entire class of people, typically for their immutable characteristics. I th- I want I think people are starting to get that we are a nation of immigrants after all and imagine if the uh, natives here in the uh, say 17th century had said nah no Christians you can't come in unless you're uh, one of us <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well they may have said that Bert but they might not have had the power to uh, enforce that that's which, true again right now it's it's also this is also about power not just about ideology. Absolutely. And uh, uh, it's been interesting to see what the media is doing. I mean, I've been disgusted at how sheepish they've been just going for entertainment. And in fact, uh, uh, the Huffington Post recently took the step of announcing that uh, from now on, it will classify Donald Trump coverage in its entertainment category. Which uh, I think they went back on that. I mean, they did that, but I don't think that that's where it is anymore. Oh I think again, goodness. they were they were hoping, as were many, that it was a passing thing and that he was going to fade. Oh, but man. when he's sitting on top of the polls consistently, it's kind of hard to say that it's just entertainment. I mean, I think that what's more difficult to sort of tease out is the way in which entertainment and spectacle have become so much a part of our political culture yes. so that we, we see our our presidents and political leaders kind of the same way we see celebrities yes um, in some ways so that whether they're on the cover of time or the cover of people uh, is sort of doesn't really matter that much you know in which TV sh- you know they're on TV all the time and you know we yeah. go from we go from a celebrity story to a political story very easily 
And I will never forget sitting at a lunch back when I was in the uh, state Senate, and a person I didn't know was sitting at the table with me, and she said, oh, I'm sitting next to a celebrity. And I was thinking, Who's here? And one of the things about America, I think, that is different and, and unique is that we have head of state and head of government. I may be all by myself on this one, in the same person. There are other places where you have a king or a queen. You can have a celebrity who has no real power, but he or she is just, you know, the identity of, of the country. I mean, to me, you know, Ronald Reagan would have been far less damaging to the United <laughs> States and the world had he just been, you know, king with no power. I mean, he was a Hollywood movie star. Qualified? Yeah. Not in the least. <laughs> yeah. But he was a Hollywood movie star. And then you could have a schlub with no charisma, no star power like Walter Mondale running uh -huh. the country. Yeah. But we're kind of unique that way yeah. in that we have that kind of thing. That's not going to change, obviously. Not, uh, not this season, at least. So I know. Yeah. And... Uh, so what what do we think here is is well let me let me say one thing about the media bird we've mentioned with Alicia that there is another Republican debate that's coming up it's uh, uh, it's going right. to be in Las Vegas um, and if you go to our governing under the influence website which is gui.afsc.org uh, you can see a blog that we posted a couple days ago which talks about tweeting the debate moderators. Uh, and it, it has the information about the two debates that are coming up, the information about who their moderators are. And for those of you who are on Twitter, uh, it has their Twitter handles so that you can use and in 140 characters or less, you can send them a message on what they ought to tell the candidates. The messages that we're suggesting have to do with the uh, influence of the military industrial complex, the influence of corporations that are making millions of dollars off putting people in prison. Uh, and then recycling some of their millions to influence uh, political candidates yeah. and debates. But um, that's, you know, obviously, but people can use that information and, and craft your own message to those debate moderators as a way to help uh, frame the discussion that's going on. And we in New Hampshire, you know, if, if you're in New Hampshire, it's a great thing. You know what it's like. You've probably been called many times uh, asking uh, polling questions. We have that opportunity here, and it's a great responsibility to take this seriously and to meet with the candidates and to suggest questions yeah. for him or her. And I yeah, think Lindsey Graham's actually in Portsmouth right now uh, over at a Chamber of Commerce event or a Rotary Club event or something like that. So and again, there's people out there. So I can also go to our website, gui.afsc.org, look at the candidate calendar and find out where the candidates are going to be and go out and talk to them. Make sure that they hear from you. If you want to hear them denouncing uh, racism and xenophobia, make sure that they hear that from you directly if you can. Use your letters to the editor. Use your, use your own social media. Uh, we're not, you know, we don't have to be kept silent in the face of, of you know, bluster and demagoguery. And just because people can buy a bigger megaphone than, than you and I have doesn't mean that we have to be silent. And it's true. And I think one of the, I mean, keeping democracy alive is obviously the name of the show and what we're all about here. And what really concerns me is that so many people have come to the conclusion that we are powerless, that there's nothing we can do. And we accept that powerlessness and it is absolutely not true. We are not powerless, especially here in New Hampshire. We can make our voices heard. And you're right. They have that megaphone. And that's one thing yeah. about, you know, money equals speech. It doesn't equal speech. It equals a bigger megaphone. Yeah. But letters to the editor, 
meeting with the candidates and raising voices, the media follows that. And there's that old yeah. saying, once the people lead, the leaders will follow. And they're waiting to see this. I mean, uh, uh, the, the fellow you just mentioned... Um, who's in Portsmouth. Uh, one Lizzie of, Graham. Yeah, yeah. An, an alleged candidate for president, yeah. isn't he? He's, uh, no, he's a, yeah, he's a candidate. He's a U.S. senator. He's uh, on Capitol Hill. He's very influential, and he has been speaking out. He has. Uh, de- you know, denouncing much of what Trump stands for, at least as far as the anti-Muslim sentiments of it. And, that, and that's um, one thing although that... Although he also, you know, wants to escalate wars in the Middle East, which, yeah. frankly, I think will will escalate tension. And, of course it will. And uh, will, you know, can create more grounds for for terrorist movements rather than um, trying to calm that down. But uh, anyway, there, there are some things to be talked about there. And we can make a difference. And, and I, I come back to, uh, Arnie, I'm sure you're familiar with this old story of uh, Franklin Roosevelt meeting with uh, A. Philip Randolph of the... Uh, uh, Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Yes, indeed. And and he, a black man, wanted to uh, have the president uh, speak against... Uh, you know, unfairness and uh, and racism, and wanted you know better wages and working conditions. And the president said something like, "I agree with you. I want to help you. Now go out there and make me do it." And that's the point. We can make them do it. Lindsey Graham wouldn't be saying this stuff if if the people weren't raising their voices and making it safe for the candidates to do it. No, I mean. Very, very few political candidates want to uh, stick their necks out if they don't think it's safe. Uh, generally, there are exceptions. Uh, Bernie Sanders, obviously, is one maybe, of them. Maybe Bert Cohen was one. In his well, yeah, there's too. a few others. Yeah, Rennie yeah. Cushing, I think, yeah. is another one yeah. uh, who, uh, you know, don't wait for that. But we, we, the people, have to make it safe if they see... You know, and I do believe that they're starting to see the non-Trump people are starting to see that the people are saying, you know, maybe this guy isn't so good after all. Although, uh, according to a Bloomberg uh, poll recently, more than two thirds of likely GOP primary voters, and I hate that term GOP because they're grand old party. Yeah, grand. Uh, a likely uh, of Republican likely primary voters support the policy of uh, excluding Muslims. More than one-third say it makes them more likely to vote for Trump. Uh, it's it's just amazing to me that so many uh, Republican likely primary voters uh, see some merit in banning Muslims from the U.S. And uh, it, this poll is not hopeful for anybody believing that this is the final straw for Donald Trump. Uh, it's, it's curious to me what the Republican Party has become, what their identity is. And uh, as uh, it was good to hear a genuine conservative like Alicia Preston saying, no, that's not who we are. But it's up to us. It really is up to I us. I think we all really can find ways to speak out and make, make our views clear so that if, if those people who act as you suggest according to that poll are out there, we make it clear that that is a minority and their views you know, over time can be delegitimized by other people uh, saying, no, that's not what we stand for. That's not what we should stand for. Uh, and we, we've got to also be doing that work in our own communities. It's not just about what happens at the presidential level. Once the yes, circus absolutely. leaves town in February, <laughs> we'll still be here. So we need to go out and um, meet our Muslim neighbors. We need to be making sure that our own communities uh, have a welcome mat out and not a barbed yes. wire fence. Yes. Very deliberate efforts to try to create that type of spirit. Um, we do have plenty of, of immigrants and refugees, people from all over the world who are, who are living here with us. 
uh, and we need to try to make sure as much as we can that we are building democracy by creating a community that's conducive to everybody that's respectful, uh, that says no to racism and no to xenophobia. And there are all kinds of threats to democracy, and I think that the uh, the idea of a, of a demagogue, of somebody who, like Trump, who basically says, I am the guy, I have all the answers, you don't need any legislature to check the power of me, that's really dangerous. That's a real threat to democracy. Absolutely is. And there was a couple of uh, websites or something you can point people to if they want to get more involved and learn. Well, if they want to get involved with us, I mean, if they're interested in, you know, views on uh, what's going on in Iraq and Syria and how to make a difference there and looking at issues having to do with refugees and immigration, if you go to our main website at AFSC.org, you can find a lot of good stuff. If you're interested in finding out where the presidential candidates are going to be, what the candidates are saying on issues that have to do with war and peace and corporate power, uh, go to our website at gui.afsc.org and look for information there. Uh, You can always find us at afsc.org slash nh to find out more about what's going on in the New Hampshire program. And during the legislative season, you can listen to our State House Watch radio show on WNHN-FM in Concord and WNHN-FM.org. All right. And find out. If you care about democracy and respecting other people. Make a sign that says, welcome refugees, or love is greater than hate. Build bridges, not walls, something along those lines, and look for us there. I look forward to seeing you all there. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Bert. As if loyalty 